Um, and I didn't get into hockey until I moved here. Hmm. And um, I, it was actually a blind date. This is a oh. it was a blind date. It was one of those. I know a guy who I went to college with, who went to some, who went to college with somebody else, who has a friend who lives in Dallas. Y'all should hang out. Y'all don't know anyone. And I was like, okay, sure. And and he's like, hey, I have these tickets to a game. And I was like, yeah, you know, I like sports. Like I was a huge football fan at the time. Um, and so I agreed to go to a game with him. And it took about two minutes, two minutes of warmups. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. Awesome, you're the creepiest dude ever. Like he's all, all like, "Hey, you know what's going on?" You know, and I was like, "What are you doing?" Ooh, like we just the arm. What are you doing? And I'm like, like and also just not that cold in here. <laughs> These are the tales of hockey past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off ice moments memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the Puck Stories. Hi, I'm Taylor Barrett, and I'm going to tell you the story of the 2012-2013 Dallas Stars. Usually this would cover off an entire season, but unfortunately the NHL has this whole history of uh, labor disagreement, we'll say. So this season actually started off with a lockout, and the funniest thing that I remember about the lockout was how often it seemed like guys were, like, we were about to have an agreement and we surely were going to get a, a short, like a shortened schedule, but, you know, close to a full season. There were rumors about a 72 game, and then it was 68 games, and then it was, you know, maybe 60. And they came close several different times of getting close to an agreement between the Players Association and the league to the point where some guys actually started to come back into town and started skating. And I had actually met Trevor Daly the season before, when my friend and I traveled uh, to go watch our very first road games, we went to Canada and we met Trevor Daly and he remembered who I was. And he actually reached out to me and he was like, hey, uh, some of us are having an informal skate um, at a rink, you know, if you want to come by and, and chat about the lockout. And so I was like, sure. And so I went over there and I just remember I was on the bench and he said, hey, so where's your skates? And I was like, yeah, you're funny. Um, because me on skates is basically like watching Bambi on ice. It's not good. It's very, very not good. Um, I, I, I appreciate the elegance of ice skating and especially of hockey skating, the fact that guys can skate backwards. I can't even stop. So. Are you a fan of figure I, skating? I mean, it's beautiful. I I think I would probably break an ankle doing it, but oh, yeah. I mean, I can I can appreciate the elegance and and the power and the skill that it takes to even stand up on skates. So yeah, I was there was no way in hell that Trevor Daly was going to get me out on ice with a professional hockey player, and that just wasn't going to happen. Um, so yeah, so we went months and months and months, uh, about four of them to be exact, before we finally got an agreement and the the two sides agreed to a shortened season. I think it was like 
38 games, 48 games, something like that. It's very, very, very short. Sounds right. Um, sounds right. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't great. Heading into this season, we all knew that there was a change in identity happening. And so I don't know that many people expected them to be able to make the playoffs. But when you looked at the division, you know, maybe you could have gone after San Jose, but this was kind of the heyday of the Anaheim Ducks and the Los Angeles Kings where they were winning a lot. And um, I think that, I think that if I had to say about the team heading into this year, what the expectations were, it was probably a competitive battle for the last playoff spot. Maybe you'd squeak in, but but you would be looking at a wild card at best. Um, they did not have the skill, the talent. Um, they had Kari Lennon and Nett who... Actually, was this even? Yeah, Kari Lennon. Um, I was like, was this even when he was? Yes, he was a, definitely a Dallas star then. But they were just very porous on defense. They didn't really have any prospects on the back back end to really speak of. Like, I think people were just so excited that a season happened at all that everything after that was kind of gravy to most fan bases. It was like, they're just on the ice. We didn't lose an entire season like we did back in 05, 06, or 04, 05, or whatever season it was. Um, and so, you know, we actually got some games after a labor dispute. So, yay, go us. Um, but what was interesting about it for the Dallas Stars, at least, was the fact that this was kind of a turning point for the franchise into the, what I can now call the Jamie Benn era. So some of the guys that were on the team when the Stars had made some of their deep playoff runs, like Mike Ribeiro, uh actually got traded in the offseason. But then we found out later, <laughs> Mike Ribeiro is actually in trouble for like some sexual assault allegations. It was very not good. So like, yay, glad we got rid of that. Um, so maybe there were some off-ice reasons why some guys got traded. But I think for the most part, the franchise recognized that Jamie Benn was going to be their future. So Mike Ribeiro, fan favorite Steve Ott, um, were actually traded in the offseason. And then Michael Ryder, I think, who um, wasn't going to stick around. He wasn't going to, like, re-sign with Dallas after the season was over when he was going to become a free agent. So Dallas kind of rolled with this weird combination of veteran depth and then also some new guys. And one of those new guys was Antoine Roussel. <laughs> And if you don't know anything about hockey, Antoine Roussel, <laughs> yes, I see the guy's very excited that I'm bringing this guy up. Um, he was He's kind of favorite. very. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of an embodiment of the new pest in the NHL, though. So, like, he could go out and fight, but he could also snap in some goals too. And the twenty, the lockout shortened season in 2013 was his first introduction to the NHL. Um, and he wasn't expected to make the team by any means. He was like an AHL depth signing that they did in the offseason or trade or I don't know, whatever, however they acquired him. Um, and he wasn't expected to make the roster, but with some of those spots opening up when training camp did open up finally in early January of that year, we started to see him uh, make, a, make a case for himself, not just because he brought a little bit of that sandpaper that they'd gotten rid of 
by trading Steve Ott to the Blues, but also because he could actually score. So I think he kind of was one of, I don't want to say he was the forefront because I highly doubt that, but I think that he was one of the new version of the enforcer in the NHL. And I think just around the league in general, you started to see this transition from guys who were fourth line guys that could have had one skill, which was punching in each other's faces um, to guys who could do that, but also contribute offensively as well. Um, so he was part of that, part of that crew, I guess, part of that new wave. And then what was super interesting was the fact that Dallas actually traded for at the, the trade deadline. They made a couple of different moves and some of them were very weird. Um, they brought in Yaramir Yager. So you're going to turn your team over. And, and at the time of the trade deadline, so the trade deadline actually that your fellow on my birthday, which was hilarious. Um, and the team was kind of flirting with this, like, we'd win a couple, then they'd lose a couple. And then they went on at like a five game win streak. And then they kind of lost like four games in a row. Like they were very like win, last, win, last, win, last. And just not really doing anything more than flirting with 500, which in the NHL is actually generally where most teams kind of even out at the end of a season because the law of probabilities tells us that after so many repetitions, results start to go to 500 because that's how things work. And um, not to give you a stats class, but. That's generally the larger the sample size, the closer to 500 your record is. Look at baseball. You will understand exactly what I mean. Um, Regression to the mean. Exactly. Regression to the mean. Um, But but in a shortened season, 500 was definitely not going to get you there. But what Dallas actually did was they put in some guys around Jamie Benn to give him some leadership, some veteran savvy to look up to and help mold him as a future leader of this team. So at the trade deadline, March 24th, 2013, um, they traded away their captain, Brendan Morrow, who had been here forever. And he was probably one of the last guys on the team that was part of their Stanley Cup runs back in 99 and 2000. I believe he was a rookie in the 2000 run to the Stanley Cup final. Um, So it was kind of like a shutting of an era it was, we're going to move forward and we're going to build this new core around Jamie Benn. They had acquired Cody Eakin at one point in the offseason um, and traded away some of their older guys, had some young guys coming up. Um, not a lot of them panned out because Dallas's ability to draft and, and actually develop players is uh, sus at best, but they try. They try. And so this was another year where they tried. Um, but the funny thing to me that stood out actually about the trade deadline was since it was my birthday, (laughs) this team played on the 23rd. So the night before at home, my best friend worked for the team. And so she decided that for my birthday, she was going to give me a birthday card that was signed by the entire Dallas Stars team of that year. Why? I have no idea. Maybe it was so that I could have a piece of Yara Yager memorabilia, but also, I don't know. It was just something cool and different and not something you can buy at the store. And so she stuck around after the game and she waited and she waited and she waited to the point where I actually texted her and I was like, hey, 
we're out for drinks. Where are you? Are you coming? You going to make it? It's my birthday. We're celebrating. Where are you? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm working with a client still. I swear I'm on my way. Well, what she was actually doing was way down near Mary Yager, who um, has a reputation for doing full workouts and like skates after games. This man is a machine and he will wear like his weighted vest and he'll run around the the event level and he'll do his weight training and his off ice dry land training and then sometimes skates even like to the point where he's actually been known to be be handed keys to the practice facilities of teams he plays for because the man shows up at like 5 a.m and he will work out for like three hours before the team even practices that morning or he'll stay until like two in the morning after a game for reasons that I don't know. He likes it. I don't know. It seems weird, but setting the example for Jamie Ben setting an example. Yeah. So he was acquired. Um, but the funniest thing about the trade deadline when Brendan Morrow was traded was the trade deadline actually fell on my birthday. So my birthday is March 24th. So I never get anything that late in the season. Um, happy belated. Thank you. (laughs) Um, trade deadline fell on that day. And so that we decided we were going to do brunch and brunch in Dallas is a whole thing. Um, a lot of places serve unlimited mimosas. So you pay like $20 and you can drink until you're done um, or until they cut you off, which we have definitely done before until like three o'clock. And that particular one we started, <laughs> my friend had gone to Scotland and she told us about fu- furry sheep or no furry cows. Um, definitely never Google furry cows. Like the images that you get are not what you think you're going to get. It's like hentai and like really fucking It's not the actual cows you're looking for. So like it get, it, that got really weird. Um, and so we were sitting there going, who are these sick people? Man? <laughs> anyway, we had had too much to drink that day. They, the place cut us off. Anyway, so back to birthday. So birthday. So we had unlimited mimosas and so we started brunch at 11 a.m. And trade deadline is at like three o'clock in the afternoon for us central time, I think, or four, mm-hmm. three or four in the afternoon. Um, and at around five o'clock, <laughs> six hours of drinking later, we get the notification on our phone that Brendan Morrow, the team's captain, had gotten traded. There had been rumors that he was probably going to go to a contender because the team was headed once again for another mediocre season. Um, just good enough to be not good enough for a good top pick, but also like not make playoffs. So another season of mediocrity. And I don't know if it was the mimosas or like the recognition that Joe Newendike was probably going to be gone at the end of the season. Um, they weren't going to make the playoffs and we were staring at that again, another long off season. And just the emotions just all hit me and my, th- my two best friends who I travel with. Um, and we just started crying in the middle of the bar, just <laughs> bawling. <laughs> Brendan Morrow had gotten, and like, no offense to Brendan Morrow, great guy, he's awesome, whatever. But like, it wasn't about him, it was about just the end of an era, really, of just closing the door on some of those guys that had been on the team since the cup run. And like, he Brendan Morrow was kind of one of the last ones that was like, oh, now what are we going to be looking at in the future? <laughs> So, what do they say? No guy's worth crying over, unless he's your captain. 
It's not yeah. a new phrase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did, did you guys get any like stares or anything? Like, oh, good God, yes. Yeah. So everybody was like, what is going on? Even my friends, my friends that were there, like, you know, just enjoying the good day, they were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, it's your birthday. You're not supposed to cry. And I'm like, Brendan Moore just got traded. Blank stares. And I was like, it's a big deal. <laughs> Should have hit him with the uh, "It's my birthday, I can cry if I want to." Just pull out all the crying Fairly cliches. That also came out. I'm like, I can do what I want. <laughs> it's my birthday, actually. Um, yeah, so that was good times. And then, and I had gotten that. I I showed you guys that card, and so I had gotten that. And then yep. knowing that Bernard yep. Morrow got traded just like hours later, <laughs> so they're going. So I have the last piece of Brindamora memorabilia as a star. Um, also w- weird um, to think that like just yet, you know, just last night he was signing stuff and now he's like, peace out, going to San Jose or wherever he traded to. So, and, you know, six solid hours of drinking. And girls, I'll get they, you. sometimes we get really emotional. And so Brennan Morrow got traded. Guys, we guys, got- too. We get emotional, too. <laughs> emotional. Okay, but do you cry in a bar over a hockey trade? Ne- never. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, never say never. It can happen to the best of us. But you can see it. You can picture it in your brain, this happening to you. But yeah, so it happened. And we we cried in the middle of the bar. Were there any... Uh- Good Samaritan concern strangers. Oh yeah, that like came up and were like, "Hey, are you all right?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most like of them I... thought that like some boy had broken my heart or something, and I was like, "I mean, he, he his did. name is Brennan Morrow. <laughs> his name is Brennan Morrow. He got traded. <laughs> are you his girlfriend? No." <laughs> um, most definitely not. <laughs> he was married. Thank you. Then the look um, on their face changes. Like, oh, so. <laughs> You're just sad. That reminds me of uh, that reminds me of Wedding Crashers when uh, when he's like, "We lost a lot of good men out there," and she was like, "Playing for the playing Yankees." For the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, to like free yeah. to like free agents, trades, and, trade and free agency, and, and I, I don't want to talk about it." <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very very interesting time. Um, the other thing that really sucked though was. This st- kind of kicked off the years of what I would call mediocrity in Dallas. This, this season was always going to be growing pains. I think the frustrating thing for most fans looking back was that they didn't actually tank and get a better draft pick in the in the draft for 2013 because they were too good to be really bad, but not good enough to make the playoffs. And so you you just continued this cycle of mediocrity that they had been in. And in the NHL especially, like, you want to be on one end of the spectrum or the other. You either want to suck so bad that you get to draft a top-ranked player, or you want to make the playoffs. You really don't want to get stuck in the no-man's land of, like, a 9-10-11 finish because you're never going to win the draft lottery, and you're not making the playoffs. But I think a lot of people were starting to see the beginnings of some hope and some faith that things were starting to turn around and maybe we're heading in the right direction. There were moments where they would go on these streaks and you would have a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith that maybe that would be what would turn it around and could vault them into a playoff spot. 
from an organizational standpoint, from a business standpoint, that helps you sell tickets. Like that helps you get butts in seats. And Dallas actually did pretty good that year in terms of attendance. Now, whether that was pent up demand because we didn't have a full season, or maybe it was because they, you know, people could look at those win streaks and then they would have some sellouts and then they would lose some and then it would be like, oh, hey, maybe not. Um, I think at the end of the day, you want your team to be competitive because, like, you want your team to get there. And I think in hockey, more than any other sport, all you need to do is make the playoffs. But I don't think that anyone really expected them to make the playoffs this season. But in a a lockout-shortened season with only 48 games, all it really would have taken you to make it would probably be one good string of of wins. Um, But Dallas could never really put that together. They were... I mean, I think their best win streak that season was like five games, maybe. Mm-hmm. If you had done like eight or nine or ten games, maybe the story would have been different because they only they only missed the playoffs by a handful of points. It wasn't many, but they were just too inconsistent to make it. They were competitive enough. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so Dallas, like this was kind of the the start of their decline into mediocrity and it kind of coincided with this with rumors of bankruptcy and being operated by the league that happened um and uh actually in november i believe it was in 2013 i could be wrong on the timing on this no sounds right i'm always right um yeah no uh but they yeah, they they did eventually. No, I think it was the summer after this. Yeah, so it was like November 2013 was when they finally got new ownership. So this year was even weirder because it was probably the year that they were actually operated for a portion of it by the league themselves. So anything, any move that Joe Newendike as a general manager made had to be like signed off on by the front by the league's front office. You can just like hey we're gonna make this trade and we're gonna acquire this guy it was like okay we're gonna acquire this guy and the league had to say okay yes you can do that or no you can't do that you can't sign these guys in the offseason you can't spend that money because it was the league's money at that point (laughs) um because tom hicks had overextended himself into the liverpool ownership and went bankrupt and the dallas stars were an unfortunate side product of that business decision they were one of the last to actually get sold from him, though. So, like, they lingered and, like, just languished in this weird in-between. Um, so, in some ways, this season was the crux of all of those things combined. It was, we've gone through league ownership and bankruptcy, and we're about to be sold, and Jamie Vent's going to become the face of the franchise, and this was kind of the start of his peak, and... They signed him to a five-year deal after this um, to kind of start his career as a career Dallas star. Um, He has often said he wants to be like Dirk Nowitzki and only play for one franchise in his entire career. So Dallas is it. Um, 
And so this was them starting to recognize that they needed to move beyond their aging core that had gotten them to some of the Western Conference finals um, and transition and pivot to moving towards a younger core and building around Jamie Benn. So that was what happened this season. Another thing that we should definitely talk about with the 2012-2013 Dallas Stars was the fact that this had to have been the most boring sweater of sports of all time. It was just black with stars written across it. Like, like zero creativity, <laughs> zero thoughts. Or no, not even stars. It said Dallas. Like, cool. <laughs> yeah, the the 2012-2013 season absolutely had to be the worst sweater in their entire history. These were the worst years and they had the sweaters to go with it. It was like it was like we knew. We foreshadowed it by the, what we were putting on the team. I was going to ask if the uh, the highlighter jerseys are the worst jerseys in sports or are they just the worst jerseys in hockey? Excuse me. <laughs> um, okay, so I will say this. On... Okay, so when they first released the 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 alternate jerseys from this year, which are like a highlighter yellow, which is supposedly like some throwback to the Dallas skyline, which to be fair, there are there is a building that is lit up green here and it is part of the skyline. It is iconic. Um, But like that's a pretty hard association to make if you don't know the Dallas skyline, which isn't really to me all that recognizable, but whatever. Um, So I didn't get it. And I was very, very against these jerseys when they were released. I was like, these are terrible. What were y'all thinking? Um, Seeing them in person, they actually really grow on you. Mm. You're like, at first you're still like, "Mm, I don't know about this. But seeing them with the presentation of the arena lights and everything else, like you're like, oh, actually, okay, maybe these aren't that bad. And then, like, I don't know. They they grow on you. They're actually better in person than they look on paper. I hope just so. don't get within fifteen <laughs> rows. Yeah, you got to wear sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, they're very bright. Did I, dude? You need to Google this uh, this Sagan shit. <laughs> Tyler Sagan oh, yeah, yeah. body issue yeah, photos. Sure, Is that um, what you're looking at? <laughs> Um, look at the I'm one where he's holding, yeah, holding the rubber ducky. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also the, the popsicle was definitely very uh, suggestive, we'll say. <laughs> Enjoyable, if you will. They had him on a Zamboni, and then they also, there's a gif of him on the Zamboni with a popsicle, like, sucking on that very suggestively. (laughs) There you have it. That is the story. And these are the puck stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at The Puck Stories. Also see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcasts at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly.
me and three me and two of my best girls um every year we try to take a hockey trip so we are trying to hit all of the all the cities so uh, so far i've been to vancouver edmonton calgary san jose la anaheim colorado vegas minnesota st louis nashville florida tampa bay dc like going up the list um philly new york islanders rangers and the devils and i think that's it should have done which ones you haven't been to. yeah that was like Both almost all everyone but canada <laughs> well any of you know it's a bunch of canada canada's vancouver, vancouver. so you yeah know, Winnipeg, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Buffalo, Boston. Pittsburgh, still on the list. Columbus Bo- is still have on the list. Have you I've not made it to Boston yet. Uh, one other fun thing that happened this year was the introduction of Antoine Roussel into the league. Um, and he came in kind of with a bang. He decided to pick a fight with Jerome Aginla, the captain of the Calgary Flames. And though Jerome McGinley is not a big fighter, very unsure what exactly preempted that particular fight other than that the team was losing. And, uh, you know, in hockey, you usually use a fight to try to spark your guys and get them up and moving and hopefully spark some kind of comeback. And, and his so name was Antoine Roussel. It was Antoine Roussel. And he is the pest, and he doesn't back down from anyone. And so he decided to announce himself to the league um, in a season in which he wasn't even expected to make the roster to begin with. Um, but also what probably pissed people off more was the fact that the man could actually put in some goals, too. So he made you pay both physically with his knuckles, but also with his with his hands the other way by putting some goals. So, um, yeah, Antoine Roussel, the beginning years. Um, and actually, the funny thing about Antoine Roussel as a Dallas star was he had this uncanny ability to get under the skin of Chicago Blackhawks fans. Um, and it probably culminated a couple of seasons later, but it really started this year. Uh, but it culminated a couple of years later when he scored on like a I think it was a penalty shot or something in Chicago. And then he like taunted the crowd. Like he was like, what, what y'all are, yeah, y'all are booing me. And he just like lived for it. He was just there to definitely, um, he just, he appreciated when fans hated him, but he was the prototypical guy in the NHL. You absolutely love to have him as part of your team. You absolutely hated it when he was on the other team. So, mm-hmm. Jamie Ben doesn't even like to go down on girls, so like he's not even going to pushing that. So <laughs> I don't I think know, ho- know that. If, I don't know if y'all know that joke. No, um, we don't. No. Is, is that like oh, a okay? So, so on social media on Twitter uh, a couple of years ago, I think he meant that he meant to send it via um, DM to Jason Demers, who he used to play with, oh, yeah. um, but did oh, not. Nice. He definitely sent it on tweet. And it was basically like, I don't munch box essentially, but he said bunch marks, but like 
Okay, you're five years old. We can't see through that shit. Um, And so, yeah, so the joke has been that Jamie Ben doesn't go down. So Hold on, I'm I'm looking up the actual tweet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there are, there have to be screenshots of that one somewhere. But yeah, I've been dealing with Jamie Ben doesn't go down jokes for years now. Says, okay. do you like to bunch mocks? I feel like you're the kind of guy that would do that. And then it's hashtag dumb Mers. <laughs> and he just responded, yes. <laughs> so the implication what from it was that you're dumb if you do go down on a girl and therefore he does not. See what I'm saying? This See is it. such a ridiculous tweet. Okay, so between that, between Jamie Ben not going down on girls, Tyler Sagan and his um, body issue plus his sexual noir, like, sex on a stick shtick, I mean, there is no end of storylines with this team. (laughs) Yeah, you say you're not the TMZ of of the NHL, but... You'd be, but I seem you'd to know it right all. for it. Yeah. I mean, the stories are there. The stories are there. I just choose not to tell them. <laughs> and then uh, I love Pete Blackburn. Do you, do you follow him? Or like, yes. Uh, Pete he said, so there was like something from Sports Day that said, Dallas Stars, Jamie Benn, and Tyler Sagan share their secrets to having a successful Valentine's Day. And Pete Blackburn. <laughs> Pete Blackburn responded, I bet Jamie Ben has some real outside the box ideas. 